Drawn and Paneled is the comic book showcase podcast from Gen X Grown Up. Every Wednesday, we bring you news, reviews, interviews, insight, and commentary on the comic books we love from the golden age to the modern age. We love to hear from our podcast listeners, so write to us at podcast at drawnandpaneled.com. And if you enjoy what we do, please take a moment to support us by becoming one of our patrons at patreon.com slash genxgrownup. Welcome back, Drawn and Panel podcast listener, to episode 31 of the Drawn and Panel podcast. With me, as always, today is my radiant co-host, Rachel. Never been called radiant before, but thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. And my name is George. In today's episode, we're diving deep into the first appearance of Venom as we discuss the Amazing Spider-Man issues number 298 through 300. And Rachel, there's a distinct reason why we're listing three issues in this first appearance, and that's really because I don't know what the hell qualifies as a first appearance after reading these three issues. Yeah, it was... um. Interesting. Right? I mean, we'll get into it as we get into each one of the issues. We're going to cover each one in depth on their own, but I don't necessarily agree with some of the information that we've gotten out there that one issue in particular is the first appearance because I don't call what happened in those issues. I don't see how you can count that as a first appearance. Things happen in later issues that make it obvious that that's who it was, but there's no way if you picked up that book, you would know who the hell that was. Oh yeah, God no. You'd be like, oh, it's some guy. Exactly, okay. right. Someone's mad it's at a- Spider-Man. Oh no. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> You'll, and that never happens. Nobody's ever mad at Spider-Man, no so of course you're supposed to know who that is. Yes, everybody's <laughs> mad at Spider-Man. They're always trying to get him. Just like Batman, Superman, or any of those superheroes there's always an evil person out there wishing to do them harm at any particular point so i thought it was a good idea for us to explain and go through each one of these books because i think they each have a significant piece of the venom storyline as he's being introduced yeah for sure well let's jump into it right after this we interrupt this program to bring you a special bulletin in a bold daylight hold up the second national bank was robbed by a thief with a flair for the fantastic Dressed like Robin Hood, the bandit got away with a million dollars in less than 20 minutes. Hey there, Drawn and Panel podcast listener. I want to take just a second to tell you about something you didn't know you were missing. I'm John, and along with Mo, Hey, everybody. And George. Hey, how's it going, guys? We are Gen X Grown Up. Gen X Grown Up is a website, YouTube channel, and audio podcast by and for Generation Xers, kids of the late 70s and early 80s who may have grown older but have refused to grow up. Every week on our podcast, we cover media, games, tech, toys, comics, games, and pop culture of yesterday and today through the eyes of guys who grew up loving that stuff. And every other week, we do a backtrack where we pick a single nostalgic topic from our youth and dig in deep. You can find us anywhere you listen to your podcasts or find us right on our website at genxgrownup.com. If you're a Generation Xer or know someone who is, I hope you'll check out Gen X Grown Up. All right, Rachel, first up, let's start talking about The Amazing Spider-Man issue number 298. I'm going to give everybody just a brief synopsis so they know what's going on in case they haven't read the book. In this issue, Chance, the evil supervillain, is back in business and working a new job for the Life Foundation. The clandestine organization wants Chance to steal an arm shipment coming into the West Side docks. That should be a piece of cake for the high-flying mercenary. However, the Daily Bugle dispatches an undercover photographer to observe the delivery. Guess who 
that is. I wonder. And beneath the moonlit sky, <laughs> fireworks explode when Chance and the amazing Spider-Man throw down on the dock. Ooh. So you don't have to read the issue now. We've basically given you the entire story. <laughs> now you know. It was written by David Michelin, who is known for action comics, he, Amazing Spider-Man, of course, and Iron sure. Man, actually. Uh, now, you, you say Iron Man. Wasn't he the guy who introduced Iron Man's problem with alcoholism? Yeah, he was, which is really cool because that's mean growing up and knowing Iron Man. That was just who he was. I didn't realize that wasn't from the beginning. So now when you say growing up and knowing Iron Man, does that mean Iron Man from the comic books or Iron Man from the movie? MCU, mostly. I mean, um, okay. my dad told me some Iron Man stories, but not as many as Spider-Man or Fantastic Four or any of that. Chance may be the coolest villain I've seen. I don't remember reading this issue back when it came out in 1988, I think it was. I most definitely didn't read it. Man, Chance is so cool. What kind of supervillain says, nope, I don't want to get paid unless I succeed. We're going to bet how much you're going to pay me for doing this evil deed that you want me to do. That's just the coolest thing ever. I mean, maybe it's because I love to play poker and everything, but (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome. He was kind of like super hokey. It's like they wanted to make a James Bond villain to me. Right. And yeah. I was just like, eh. <laughs> he wasn't all that scary. I mean, he wasn't scary. He wasn't, no. he wasn't all that intimidating either. I mean, it was kind of no. like a knockoff villain Iron Man, you know, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, he, he had his little wrist anklet things, you know, and he flies yeah. around and shoots people with his, you know, different laser yeah. blasts and darts Robot and stuff suit, like that. You know, nothing. He's not the villain that's going to, you know, plan world domination, but that's kind of what I liked about him. I mean, yeah. I think in this storyline, because as you see, as we get into issue number 299, he kind of has to be a step down of a villain in order for Spider-Man to allow himself to do the things he does later on in yeah, this storyline of three books. But yeah, it was really cool. I will say also, we get a large dose in issue number 298 of MJ. Mm-hmm. Which I really like. It was nice to see that she was important she was just as important to the story as Spider-Man is. Well, yeah, they're just married, right? So it's kind of like she's a huge focal point of his life now because he's not just that lone hero with the girlfriend. Like, she's his wife. <laughs> yeah. And well, and he's like, he's grown up. He's not in high school. He's not in mm-hmm. college anymore. He's an adult now and he's adulting and all that kind of fun stuff. But About he's as married well as to anyone MJ. does it. Right. <laughs> It, but it's it's really interesting to see how he, he kind of cobbles together his daily routine as Spider-Man or sometimes his nightly routine along yeah. with being married. I mean, because I, I don't think you've ever been married yet. Right, Rachel? No, I have not. So I've been married for a long damn time <laughs> at this point. <laughs> and I will say there's no way in hell my wife is going to let me run around at all hours of the night, even if she knew I was Spider-Man, without checking in once in a while and maybe even going with me on some missions. I know my wife. She's going to want to know everything because that's just, you know, when your partner, that person you're going to spend your life with, they have this whole other life. That doesn't always, you know, work out well. But MJ really seems to be making a sincere effort to be a supportive supportive wife. Yeah. And it's really weird for me because in my version of Spider-Man, Spider-Man, they're divorced. Oh, right. Yep. They're not together. She's point. with a firefighter. He's doing his own thing. Like they are completely separated. They're still friends, but that's all that's all it is. 
So it's really interesting to see. He They're divorced because he's still a damn freelancer at the Bugle. That man <laughs> hadn't gotten a full-time job yet. What the hell? You're still taking photos of yourself, mind I you. I know. <laughs> Don't you have any career goals? Come on, Peter. Well, now he owns a corporation. Oh, does he really? Yeah. Doc Ock takes over his body and takes him back to college. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. He gets his degree and order and opens like Parker Tech or something. It's it's great. Parker Tech. Of course. Everything something is like the that, person's yeah. name in tech in all these uh, comic I guess, books. <laughs> I guess you put all your creativity into the tech. You don't think so much about the name. <laughs> and being a freelancer, apparently he doesn't even have the money for the bus. He has to web swing everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, but it's it. interesting because he does. He hates it, but he still does it. So I think that's one of the things that kind of grounds him to the average everyday person who reads these comic books. Like if you look at Iron Man as an example, wealthy billionaire, you know, yeah. super genius. It's hard to relate to that, right? Or, you know, the Hulk, right? Bruce Banner, the super yeah. scientist who gets, you know, irradiated with gamma rays and everything. Captain America, this soldier who gets injected with a serum and lives for a Pinnacle billion years in the ice or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard sometimes to relate to those guys. You can idolize them and there's plenty of hero worship to go around, but really understanding them and feel like you can connect with them. Spider-Man, that's why he's the number one superhero in the Marvel Universe, in my opinion. That's why they introduced him. He was one of the first teen superheroes that wasn't a sidekick first. So he didn't have anyone to really teach him. So he saved Marvel by just being relatable. We know that Spider-Man, you know, he gets sent off on this mission to go photograph, you know, this thing down at the docks and everything. And of course, he's going to web sling up his little. Yeah, he needs the money because he doesn't have a real job. And he's got the super (laughs) glamorous, like supermodel wife who actually makes so much more than him. And I like that they make the point of that in this book that he feels guilty that he can't afford the apartment she should live in and stuff like that. But But he gets down to the docks. Well, yeah, but, you know, for him, that's. (laughs) Yes, it's very emasculating for the guy who saved the world. <laughs> but they get down to the docks and that first panel where, you know, he's kind of sitting up there watching and observing things and right before Chance swoops in and everything, there's a scene where they show the different military officers, the guys standing guard over the shipment. Yeah. I'm telling you, those soldiers were just like the little green army men that, that Todd McFarlane had on his desk. He just copied those guys down and drew up. They even look like they're in the same positions as the little green army men in a couple of the cases. I'm like, yeah, really? they do. I'm like, wow, B characters if I ever saw them. (laughs) (laughs) You just see them and you're like, oh, yeah, they're not going to make it. Yeah, those those are all red shirts right there. (laughs) (laughs) So we have the big battle, right, between Spidey and Chance and the lights go out and all this crazy stuff happens, explosions and everything. And Spider-Man, you know, of course, he loses the shipment as want to do in a story in order to have the next issue. No photos. No photos, even though he had his little SLR camera webbed up to the side of the building in automatic, you know, and everything like he always does. But then at the very end, the whole story stops and we just get four little frames of this fist pounding into a hand, saying some stuff. And like in one frame, the hand is just a regular hand. The next frame it's covered with some kind of black material. Then it's a regular hand again. And it just goes back and forth in those four frames. And that's what's supposed to count as the first appearance of Venom. Now, yeah. Rachel, I've been reading comic books a long time. I know what I consider a first appearance. Do you consider that a first appearance? <laughs> 
Oh, God, no. Right? But everybody lists that as the first appearance. And I went I looking up. Why. I don't either. So I went to comicspriceguide.com just to kind of get an idea of what these books are worth. And of the three, $2.98 is the least valuable. Of course, because you see the back of his hand and it doesn't say the character name. It doesn't say, it doesn't even say Eddie's name. And he was a character in the comics before this. <laughs> well, because there is no Venom without Eddie Brock, right? Yeah. Uh, if I it's mean, just the costume, if it's just the alien, it's the symbiote, right? Yeah. It's not yeah, Venom. Yeah, technically that's not. It has to be paired with Eddie Brock in order to well, become Venom. No, because um, the symbiote's paired with other people after they found some way to remove it from Eddie. I mean, it goes back to him, but it's still Venom. It's just like Carnage is still Carnage. Is it still Venom? Because yeah. I haven't read a lot of the Venom storylines, but I mean, would you consider that really Venom or is that just the symbiote creating it? Because well, in my mind, what creates the Venom personality are those two people melding together. So if you meld it with another person, it's not really the same demeanor. It's not really the same mentality. Yeah, but this one's kind of difficult because it's two personalities, like you said, and mm -hmm. the the symbiotes is consistent. Well, for the most part, um, it's just who he merges with that changes the direction of the villain. But it's still like when Carnage merges with something, it's like Spider Carnage or Gwen Carnage right. or whatever. You know, it's still Carnage. So it's kind of that same line. Like it's a whole it's another personality that keeps the identity. Because even when the symbiote's not out, Eddie is himself, you know, he's only Venom sure. when he's you know, all symbioted and black and gross. <laughs> so you're saying that when the symbiote pulls away from Eddie or is taken away from Eddie, he mm -hmm. retains some of the qualities of Eddie and that's what keeps him as Venom? I guess so. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm not going to argue with you on that because I don't have nearly the Venom knowledge that you do. But to me, regardless of which way you fall on that argument, 298, I can't consider that as the first appearance of Venom. Uh, no, definitely first not. cameo, maybe. And I don't even know if I would call it a cameo because there's nothing there to identify. Nothing. No. Like you'd have to have some kind of pre-knowledge. worked at Marvel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. And that's what, to me, if if the appearance can't stand on its own in the in that single issue, it shouldn't count as a first appearance. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, maybe two ninety nine should have counted. Well, let's take a look and check it out. Yeah. The commission has been on my back ever since. And now Robin Hood, like out of an old Errol Flynn movie. Yeah, with all these dingalings running loose, all I need is for that creep Spider-Man to pull one of his capers and I'll be climbing the walls for sure. All right. So let's talk about this. The what I count the real first appearance of Venom. Spider-Man 299. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Spider-Man's still on the hunt for chance in the arms shipment, but little does he know there's a surprise waiting for MJ at home. Ooh. Yes. Yeah. And that surprise is probably already kind of foreshadowed in our discussion a little bit. But before we get into that, we've talked about the writer in the first book. The artist of all three of these books is Todd McFarlane, none other. We know he's major books are Spider-Man, Venom, and of course, Spawn is really what he's probably most known for. I mean, the guy's done it all. He's created comic book publishing companies and everything. Yeah. I actually, doing some research for this, I found out he created Spawn when he was 16. Well, what things did you like about Spider-Man 299? Let's jump into that issue. The, the part that got me, because it starts off that he's chasing down Chance in this truck because he hit him with a Spidey tracker. and Yes, right. And kid, the Spidey tracker gives him spidey sense but not fear spidey sense it's just yeah. you know uh, which they never <laughs> really explain how that works but I'm just gonna go with right. it because you know he has spider powers so <laughs> I love it because he's on top of this truck and this kid looks out and he's like oh god it's spider man and he tries to bribe the kid with a quarter right exactly <laughs> 
<laughs> and I was like, that would never have worked. <laughs> no, no, not in 1988, not 1958. I don't think that would have worked ever. I mean, it's a kid seeing Spider-Man on top of a truck. He's yeah. not going to be quiet with that. You know, of course not. Like nowadays it'd be, give me 30 bucks and a selfie. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the other thing that I really liked too was right after that panel that you're talking about, they did this mm-hmm. whole little page where it was like, last time on the Amazing Spider-Man, <laughs> Chance did this and I did that and blah, blah, blah. And they showed, they even showed like little replica panels yeah. from the previous book at the bottom of it. And I was like, which seems, you know, I don't remember seeing that in any book before. <laughs> well, it's a little unnecessary, but think about it. Back in those days, it was not uncommon to pick up your comic books at the grocery store while you were shopping with your mother. Yeah. You know, we've talked about that before. Me and John had mentioned that, that that was a routine. You know, you go there and on the spinner rack, there would be Amazing Spider-Man number 299. But you might have missed number 298. It was very easy to do. Yeah. So the fact that they gave you that little storyline up front in a con- clear and concise manner, that would have made me all kind of happy as a kid because then I wouldn't <laughs> have felt like I didn't understand what was going on. I was luckily blessed with the Internet and... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that kinda, that's a little unfair you get to read marvel unlimited and dc universe awesome. and <laughs> comiXology you have all these tools that we didn't have when i was growing up you young kids and your tools today <laughs> well right after that though what about the cop that oh, you know he's, the kid calls out and the cop sees him and the cop doesn't take spider-man at his word i mean he knows who spider-man is that's obvious from the panel yeah it's but spider-man's spider-man like, i mean <laughs> There's a villain Surely in you this know truck. This is your, that's your favorite neighborhood wall crawler. <laughs> of course, you know he's going to tell you the truth. Really? I mean, J. Jonah Jameson is not around. We see that in some of the panels oh, where he's at the Daily Bugle. You know, J. Jonah Jameson is long gone. So the whole media smear campaign against Spider-Man is long gone at this point. So surely he would have... I mean, really? I guess I guess that was the one cop who's never worked with Spider-Man before. I guess. I mean, it kind of reminded one. me of that scene in the latest Spider-Man film, Far From Home, where, you know, they're at the reception, the charity event or whatever, and all the yeah. bad stuff happens in the trailer. And then he's just talking with the cops and everything like, oh, I got to do your job. Oh, you know, and <laughs> yeah, they're, they're kind of like, oh, palling around dude. with him. They know who he is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And nobody's giving him grief for being Spider-Man. They're like, hey, we're glad you're on our side, kind of feeling. But yeah. Not I mean, in, in the world book. of superheroes, <laughs> you should get used to it by then, you'd think. Yeah. So, you know, Spider-Man, he's tracking these people down. He ends up having to take a bus and hitchhike a ride and everything to, <laughs> yeah, to get Spider-Man. to the bad guy's place in New Jersey, which is just totally awesome, you know, after he does all his detective work and everything. I have to say, though, Sanctum Maximus is the best evil base name ever. <laughs> it's like yeah, Mount Doom. I'm not like, going to disagree oh, with you on yes. that. Yeah, that was pretty cool, especially the way they, they announced it in that one like half a page panel sanctum maximus and like the trucks driving into the big place with boxes everywhere and i was kind of like kind of just looks like a really overblown storage unit really are you sure that's your evil lair but i guess it was guess so i mean with the name like sanctum maximus and you know had to be (laughs) exactly now so mj again we've talked about her Mm -hmm. you know being supportive of spider-man as his wife and she knows he's spider-man you know i'm sure that was told to him before they got married they discussed all that. So she feels bad that he's depressed that he lost the shipment. So her idea as a supermodel, you know, anytime I'm feeling depressed, I want to go to a party. So she takes him to this 
party. And I just want to know, did you think, I certainly thought, with the drawing that was there and the names that were dropped, that was Eddie Murphy and Paul Schaefer from the 1980s. For sure. I mean, they had him in the jumpsuit. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, she's like, Eddie, and waves. And I'm like, that's got to be their rendition of Eddie Murphy there. That's it. How are they name dropping guys in comic books? Like, how did that work out? Because they didn't say the last name. And people didn't seem Uh, to be as picky about that back then. Yeah. Well, and they weren't framed in a bad light or anything either. It wasn't like Eddie Murphy was was coked out of his mind drinking alcohol on the side, (laughs) you know, or something like that. It was just Peter Parker going, I have no idea how she moves in this world, but it's cool. Right. Oh, especially I loved how she dressed him up in that outfit and he's like all fidgety in it and everything. I'm sure it was super cool for the 80s, but it was funny to me. It was very like overblown Don Johnson kind of feel to it, like Miami Vice, but with disco infused into it somehow. (laughs) I don't know quite how you do that, but they did in this book. They managed. One other thing I really loved in this issue in particular were the the different little location frames that would start a page or a part of the story, Mm -hmm. like, you know, the Charleston Apartments or the Daily Bugle. And it would be, you know, just a little synopsis of what was about to happen and then just a panel that had maybe the billboard of the building or, you know, something there. And yeah, they did that three or four times in this book and I really thought those were nice. Yeah, it was neat. I, I liked it because it was, um I don't know, it just had that comic book vibe that they do. Like, mm-hmm. this is where we are. Let's go inside. It seems as though Peter has also become an investigator in his old age because he tracks down the Life Foundation through like, I found this one article that says he pulled out of this grant at this college. Now I'm going to go to college and 21 Jump Street the place so that I can yeah. find out what that was about. And Because that's cool. And then he finds the address for this plot of land out in New Jersey that he has to hitchhike to. I mean, like, why didn't he web swing through the trees? Wouldn't that have worked? He didn't have to hop in a truck with some creep. (laughs) I know, right? Because what, you know, you're Spider-Man, but hey, that, you know, you don't hitchhike. That's not safe, man. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously no one's going to be able to murder Spider-Man. Lots of tried. And I doubt a trucker is going to be the one to do it. But probably not. (laughs) Still, I was like, dude, you're you're Spider-Man. And then like, what about Stranger Danger? That was really prevalent back then. Apparently they didn't care anything about that in this comic book. Yeah, apparently not. And then he gets in there, he figures out what the Life Foundation's about, and they're just a bunch of rich survivalist weirdos. Yeah. I mean, could they have been any more lame? I mean, I really? Just, ugh. Like, come on, uh, dude. They, you would have I was like, up. they set them up so creepily in 298. Uh-huh. Like, maybe Carlton Drake was going to be this mastermind guy or something. And I wanted Chance a was little just, bit of world domination. You know, a little something, but no. No, they're just waiting for the zombie apocalypse and then they're going to yeah. take over. And be rich. And, and they just... needed his blasters because they didn't trust the soldiers. I'm like, dude, like Chance was right. my favorite bad guy, but his stuff was cool. And to use it yeah. for something so stupid. Then... <laughs> well, and really, that's the only thing you can think to protect yourself against know, the soldiers right? you've hired. I and mean... they couldn't have just asked. Like even Chance was like, if they just asked me, I might have given it to them. Right, but exactly. No, they didn't. <laughs> like their escape was way cooler than the whole plot leading up to this part and then he's like hey spider-man we have a truce so you want to ride back to the city uh sure hop on my back (laughs) (laughs) 
And right before that, right before he hopped on his back, that splash page there yeah. that said chance right at the top of it, you know, when he yeah. when he flies out of the place with Spider-Man webbed to him and everything and the explosions happen. That was a great splash page. And Spider-Man's just kind of like chilling on his back, just like sitting there like this is weird. Um, OK, but I mean, and Carlton Drake for having such a bad lead up becomes such a cool villain later. He becomes the man spider. OK, so now. Tell me a little bit about this man spider, because you mentioned it to me off the air a little while ago. What the hell is man spider? He's like, like a wor- worse version of Spider-Man, I guess. Like a worse version of Spider-Man? <laughs> That's not hard to imagine with this Carlton Drake I saw in this issue. It's, so does he like, is he mimic his abilities through technology or something because he's super rich no, and he can afford he, it like Batman? He tries to get Spider-Man powers and instead of becoming a super cool person with spider powers, he becomes like this gross, horrible mm-hmm. spider person, like extra arms covered in fur. Ah, he brundle yeah, flies himself. Yeah, yeah. It's it's terrible and terrifying. <laughs> That's appropriate for this character because I could see this guy, as dumb as he is, Brundle flying himself into oblivion. Yeah, basically. Okay, so Chance brings Spider-Man back home, but as they're flying home, MJ's walking into the apartment, right? And she's like, ooh, long day. Oh, hey, honey, how you doing? And it was like, hey, honey. Yeah. Now that's a first appearance. That's a first appearance, right? Like that dripping speech bubble (laughs) that says, hey, honey, I'm home. And, you know, you just feel that gruff, like drooling, sinister voice and the the face and the smile because, you know, Spider-Man's black suit or his red suit for that matter. None of them have a face, like a smile, the mouth part, right? But of course, Venom does. That's one of his key attributes. And oh my God. And he's all like beef caked up and everything there. And the claws are kind of long. I was like, okay, that's first appearance. That was so, what I wanted. So is that what you would consider then 299? Would you say is a better mm-hmm. issue for first appearance? And he says his name too in it, I believe. He, he does. does say, I'm Venom. So it's like, bam, yeah. there you I go. Mean, that's, that's what it and is. It's a great Period. segue into issue number 300 because you know now issue number 300 is going to be all about Spider-Man and Venom. And as a mm-hmm. matter of fact, that's even the title of the story of Spider-Man issue number 300 is Venom. So Mm -hmm. I think that's the first times when we see the name that way and we really get a look at the character. Not this little, just a panel of a hand, you know, kind of a thing. Because that wouldn't even translate in television, right? Yeah, it's it's not just someone's mad at Spider-Man. I wonder who it is. It's, oh my God, who is this guy who looks like Spider-Man? Yeah, I mean, technically 298 is actually the first appearance and I'm sure the guys at Marvel, you know, the writer and McFarlane and all those guys would say, nope, 298 was when we first that's a technicality. No, uh, I'm with you. I'm not counting that. Now, so we're both in agreement on drawn and paneled. Drawn and paneled's first appearance of Venom is Spider-Man number two ninety nine. Yes. Fifteen million. Just the kind of beta brilliant kook like this Mad Hatter would go for. Captain, you're gonna get some help from Spider-Man, whether you like it or not. All right, Rachel, time to delve into the story that really gives the biggest Venom impact for your buck. And that's Amazing Spider-Man issue number 300. I'm just going to give you a brief synopsis of it real quick. Spider-Man faces the realities of married life and demons from his past as Eddie Brock and the symbiote form Venom to exact revenge on our favorite neighborhood superhero. That was a really good synopsis, wasn't it? mm -hmm. Short to the point, tells you exactly what's happening. I wrote that. Oh, very nice. (laughs) I didn't even steal that from anybody. Wasn't that good? I thought (laughs) that. 
that was nice. <laughs> you should do this for professionally. I know, right? I'm still waiting to get paid. John at Gen X Grown Up still hasn't written our checks yet. That's why we had to kick him off the podcast. I know, right? So the letterer for these books was Rick Parker, who is known for Beavis and Butthead and Dead Boy, which is kind really? of a surprise since he's in on like Amazing Spider-Man, not like a more serious hero than, you know, Beavis and Butthead. Well, this is also <laughs> a guy who illustrates a series of parody graphic novels, which just as an example to give you one, Harry Potty and the Deathly Boring. Really? I actually think I've I've heard that one. You've heard <laughs> I think I know that one. <laughs> I mean, you got to give it up for a guy who creates Beavis and Butthead and then goes on to further his career with Harry Potty. That's just awesome. Yeah. I want to meet that guy at some convention sometime and bring a Beavis for and sure. Butthead and find a graphic novel copy of this Harry Potty and get him to autograph them. That's awesome. Oh, definitely. That would be that would be really cool. He seems like he'd be a cool guy to talk to. Now, you know a lot about Venom, probably more than I do. Tell me what you thought of the Venom that we see in especially this issue number 300. The one I read is a lot darker. Really? Darker uh, than this? He, oh, gosh, yeah. He kills lots of people. In this, he kind of shies away from unnecessary killing. That's not Spider-Man. Sure. But eventually, like him and the symbiote, they go nuts. I mean, you can't have that kind of relationship without losing your mind, especially with conflicting personalities. And Eddie's was always the weaker personality. Well, you know, obviously he, he did something a little dark to MJ, but it kind of happened off screen, like between issues 299 and 300, because, you know, 299 mm-hmm. ended with him saying I'm home. And then 300 opens up with her cowering in a corner as Peter gets home. Yeah. And I, I kind of wanted to see what that was. And maybe they show it some other book later on. But then again, not seeing it was kind of cool, too. Yeah, it made it more terrifying. And it looks like, I mean, like like I said, this Eddie is less dark. He's a little more, he has a little bit more of a code of ethics, I guess. Sure. So I think he just scared the crap out of her. Like he didn't hurt her. He didn't do anything like that to her. He just scared the ever living crap out of her. Yeah, it was more <laughs> to like to cement that he wanted to get Spider-Man's attention more than anything, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. one thing that they mentioned in this book, you know, they have those little asterisks and then at the bottom, see book, blah, blah, yes. blah, 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 blah. I want to point out that they made an error. <gasps> uh, right? I know. So one of the little, like, little asterisks said, you know, when he's talking about how he got his black suit, mm-hmm. it's talking about, and it says, to know what this is about, go to Marvel Superhero Secret Wars issue number nine. No, 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 ladies and gentlemen, it was issue number eight. <laughs> I know because it's one of the ones that I've cut on my wall in a CBCS, you know, graded frame and everything. Nice. It's my original isn't, copy, and I love that, that cover to this like, day. Ported to this weird gladiator mm-hmm. type thing. Yeah, yeah battle and then world. his suit got destroyed and he needed a new one. Yeah, that was the original Battle World. But the thing I found really cool was researching for the podcast. Do you know the original idea for the black costume for Spider-Man that would become Venom was cre- conceived by a Marvel Comics reader named Randy Schuler really? in 1982. Yeah, he wrote them in a letter. Huh. And the editor-in-chief at the time, Jim Shooter, sure. sent him a letter saying that this is cool and we want to do it. And they bought it from him for $220. Oh, you're kidding me. In 1982. $220. Yeah. That guy is killing himself now with all these films and movies and everything else. Oh my I God. Know. That poor guy. Wow. Yeah, just that. I mean, he has to kind of be kicking himself, but at the same time, if he's a true fan, just knowing that one of his ideas went this far, oh, sure. I think would be satisfying for me. Well, 
and you know, I kind of wonder, like, so he's got this symbiote and that's what becomes his new suit and everything. Uh-huh. Is that why yeah. his spidey sense doesn't work with Venom? Because he mentions that in the panels, like he knows mm-hmm. he's being followed, but he can't really tell because his spidey sense isn't going off. Yeah, it's because the suit was so close to him for so long and it never set off a spidey sense. So now Venom doesn't either, which is kind of terrifying if you know some of the stuff Venom does. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> from the way you're describing the current Venom, I mean, good Lord, that's just I mean, the Venom I know, when he went on a kick of being a good guy, he like would eat rapists and muggers and that kind of stuff. He would save them, but there'd be a pile of blood and gore and goo. Well, I mean, was it always bad guys that he yeah. went after at least? I hope. Yes. Okay. He he tried to do that code of honor thing, but they mean, they weren't always bad enough to get eaten. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I guess it depends on what they did, but yeah. He, he, yeah, he becomes like this like the the hero to the homeless guys and the hookers and that kind of stuff. He becomes their hero gotcha. because they don't get hurt because these guys are afraid they're going to get freaking eaten. So kind of like the anti-hero to the traditional hero then. Yeah, uh, that's about as heroic as the one I know gets. Well, I want to so. ask you a question. So Spider-Man is depressed. This is issue number 300. He's uh-huh. sad because, you know, Chance, he had to let Chance go and all that stuff is going on and everything. So at one point, there's, you know, she's like, yep. you got to get a job. Why not do fashion photography and blah, 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 and all this stuff. And he's like, okay, uh-huh. that's great. And he's still depressed after he tries to, you know, photograph her. And he's like, oh, yeah, baby, make love to the camera. You know, all this weird, like, typical yeah. photographer. He's like, Lingo. this is stupid. I'm not yeah. cut out for this. And so he's just kind of sitting in the corner of their apartment. And she says, oh, he's still depressed. Well, I know what'll perk him right up. And then <laughs> she just like, all the clothes come off. Is that okay? So, Rachel, do women really think that way? Is that because I would have gotten sad a lot more often in a lot of my relationships growing up if that was true? Well, I will say this comic was written by men. Okay, fair so. enough. Good point. <laughs> I just thought, oh my God, there's no way that that's based in any form of reality whatsoever. That had to be fantasy writing right there. Probably a whole lot of wishful thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so we've got one other strong female character in issue number 300, and that's Aunt May. Oh my God, is she so sweet in this book? Like She's delightful. That little play between her and MJ in the kitchen after the dinner when they're talking. You're still family. Come over. We love you. And she's like, but I don't want to meddle because, you know, nosy relatives cause marriage breakups and all like this. And MJ's like, no, that's you're not being nosy. You care about us. That's not the reason this is going to fall apart. Come visit. (laughs) We're going to fall apart because (laughs) your nephew is an idiot. But that's okay. Yeah. It's like, it's not your fault he's a dumbass. He got bit by a radioactive spider. Right. He doesn't make the best life choices to begin with. (laughs) No, he does not. Man, but that was such a sweet little scene. I don't quite understand how it found its way into the storyline. It seems like that should have been maybe the next issue. You know, it felt like it was more grounding. Like, because, you know, MJ's freaked out in this. She she makes them, she forces the move because of whatever Venom did to scare her. She couldn't stay in that apartment anymore. Well, yeah, like at the very beginning, they they have to go to the hotel for a few nights, right? Yeah. And then they, Uh she, you know, gets the apartment. And I'm not even going to go into that because just as the whole taking off of the clothes thing isn't real, there's no way that people with my personality would say, oh, honey, of course it's so awesome that you want to move us to this apartment that I can't afford. I'm going to be so good. I'm so happy with your decision. No, that's an argument waiting to happen. What I like
liked was because at the same time, he doesn't have a leg to stand on because his choices became her nightmares. Yeah. But would you say it's also kind of her choice, though, too? Because she knows he's Spider-Man and she marries him anyway. So that's kind of on her as yeah, well, isn't it? Yeah, but the secret identity should have protected her. She didn't expect some alien that he thought he killed to attach to somebody else and tell all their secrets. Well, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know who's that on, really. That might not be on either one of them. That's just kind Probably of a... a little column A, little column B. A little column A, little... All right, I'll give you that. Well, I want to ask you, because you mentioned it earlier. So Venom, you said he's super dark now and he eats criminals for mm-hmm. breakfast with his Cheerios and everything. But in this book, yeah. there's this one scene where they're back at the church where Spider-Man first thought he had killed Venom. And mm-hmm. there's a police officer there who, you know, he sees the guy break in, he finds the broken lock and he's like, oh, people have been stealing from the poor boxes. You're coming with me. Yeah. And then Venom and Eddie Brock kill him, but mm-hmm. he didn't want to. Like, he was really conflicted about that. Which is weird because the Venom I know would have just killed him. And honestly, that's still pretty dark because he didn't have to kill him. <laughs> no, true. He didn't have to kill him. He could have done something else to... He could have just know. incapacitated him. Yeah. Like, Spider-Man already knows who he is. It's like he has <laughs> a out. conscience, but somebody took Jiminy Cricket and stepped on him at the same time. Well, But that's where it goes back to the symbiote's will is stronger than his. Yeah. Which is why it ends up driving him insane. Well... As we see at the end of this issue, Spider-Man does triumph, ladies and gentlemen. He does, you know, conquer Venom, which is really nice to see. For now, (laughs) we know Venom is going to come back. But he ends up going back to the apartment, seeing MJ. And her first reaction is, I I can't stand to look at you in that suit because he's still wearing the black and white. Yeah, well, the, you know, super suit. Right. Yeah, He, he can't. He, she can't stand to see him in it and he understands and he's like but you know should I really go out there in my underwear and she's like no <laughs> and so she pulls out this like costume that he had gotten on some other travels when he was doing something else and the last panel of this book directly references the cover of the book where it's him flying through the sky on a web but now he's back in the red and blue and you know he's Which in that he forever he should have been in the whole time yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, it's a nice culmination of a long story. I mean, if you think all the way mm-hmm. back, I think Secret Wars was 1984, roughly. Oh, wow. I think. Yeah, that's this is quite a few years. Yeah, so four years at this point, if that, if my math is correct, and if I'm right about the 1984. I mean, what a great wind-up to how that started so innocently in Secret Wars issue number eight with just this little thought machine that creates this yep, symbiote uniform. A cool zoot. Yeah. And whew. of course, it doesn't end here. As you said, Venom goes on to eat more bad guys as he <laughs> grows older. And, the world forevermore. Right. No. <laughs> and there's four other symbiotes that, you know, come about throughout this yep. whole thing. There's, Which I think are also because of Carlton Drake. Yeah. Yeah. I think I remember you talking a little bit about that. He discovers them at mm-hmm. least or something. If he didn't mm-hmm. create them, he at least discovers that there's five different symbiotes. I I don't know if they're going to pursue this in any of the films as they come. I know there's going to well, be a Venom 2. The Venom movie, they kind of did. Right. I mean, with their own creative license. But the Venom movie actually wasn't that bad. No, it wasn't bad at all. And uh, who was it? Tom Holland? Was that who was in it? Mm-hmm. Yep. I think that's his name. No, Tom Hardy? Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy. Not Tom yep. Holland. Who's Tom Holland? I don't know. He's not Tom Hardy. I have no idea. <laughs> but, not who we're talking about. Yeah. Tom Hardy. I mean, that movie, it seems like maybe they could set up. And now that we know... No, Spider-Man's license is no longer a part of the MCU. No. I guess. They could change their mind. 
I mean, maybe uh, it really <laughs> seems like they're not going to with some of the statements that were released uh, soon thereafter. And I finally watched Far From Home and oh, it was awesome. It is awesome. Yeah. I hadn't seen it, which made me even more angry about the <laughs> Sony Disney bull. <laughs> yeah. Like Sony Disney, really get your shit together because Rachel wants to see Spider-Man in the MCU. If that's not motivation not enough me, for you. Everybody. Everybody does. I mean, mostly they brought back the same JJJ. Right. Yeah. No, but I think it's more important that you want it because if Rachel wants it from drawn and paneled, that should be enough. (laughs) I'll use all my non-existent fame (laughs) to get Spider-Man back into the MCU. (laughs) Do me one last favor, Spider-Man. Sure. What is it? Take this helmet off my head. Helmet? Oh, yeah. It fits so close to your head. I didn't even notice it. Just thought you were kind of bald. If anything in this episode has piqued your interest, we put links in the show notes you can click on to find out more. Catch up on past shows and be alerted every week when a new one drops by subscribing to us wherever you get your podcast. Also, if you're enjoying what we do, help us keep the lights on by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash genxgrownup. And we love to hear from our podcast listeners, so please write to us at podcast at drawnandpanel.com. And that will wrap it up for this edition of the Drawn and Panel Podcast. Aww. Rachel, before we get out of here, we got some people to thank, and that's our patrons over at patreon.com slash genxgrownup. Yes. Here we go with breath. a deep breath. <laughs> and that is you, Marcus, Greg, Agile, Slow-Mo, John, Chad, Dana, Blaster, Sashit, Stian, T2, Will, Thomas, Mike, Stubaka, Levi, and Corey. Thank Woo. you. Man, I'm treading on that one lung really closely (laughs) doing that list. And don't forget, we want to make me pass out, so we need to add more names to that list. So head over to patreon.com slash genxgrownup and just donate a dollar and you'll have a better shot at making me pass out the next time. (laughs) Do it. Do it to make George pass out. Not to help us. To make George pass out. No, just to make George pass out. That's it. (laughs) Rachel, thank you so much for joining me today. It's always fun. And podcast listener, we appreciate you most of all, and we will see you guys next time. Bye. Gen X Grown Up is a member of the Evergreen Podcast family. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. We're also an affiliate of the Geeks Worldwide Radio Network. You can check them out at thegww.com. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.